Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye. And today I am joined by a fellow personal trainer, Holly Grant, to discuss all things exercise during and after pregnancy, because we haven't really done a specific episode dedicated to this yet, and I really feel there are so many myths to be bust, questions to be answered, and just a lot of information to get across about what's safe during pregnancy, you know, and staying active, but also the discussion around the pressures to bounce back and how to listen to your body when returning to exercise after having a baby. So I really hope you enjoy this because Holly really knew her stuff and gave us, you know, such great insights that I think you're going to get a lot from this one. But of course, before we get into that, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's Train Happy Trooper is Anna getting in touch all the way from Germany. International Train Happy Trooper, we love it. And Anna says, My Train Happy Moment has taken the form of contacted one one of my favourite clothing brands, Hess Nacho. Now, I don't speak German, so please forgive my pronunciation there, who are based here in Germany. They make beautiful, organically and ethically produced clothes. However, I was unable to find any sizes above XL. You had made the point that you declined to collaborate with brands that offer a limited range of sizes, an idea that had never occurred to me, but which I really liked. I therefore wrote to their customer service, citing your podcast and inquiring about bigger sizes and efforts to combat fat phobia. I have so far received only a number of standardised replies, but have been assured that my suggestions will be answered personally soon. Let's see what happens. Anna, I absolutely love that you are taking that initiative to reach out to your brands and asking for a more inclusive sizing range. I think no matter the type of clothes, I think particularly in active wear, which is something I feel particularly passionate about, I get so frustrated that people, you know, don't, you know, gatekeep active wear for people in straight sized bodies. It's not fair activewear should be available for everyone because everyone has the right to move their body and enjoy moving their body and they should wear clothes that make them feel good and I think the same goes for fashion brands and ethical brands and I love that you've taken that initiative so I would encourage anyone listening to always just check the size range when you whenever you're looking at a brand and go hmm I wonder why they haven't gone above you know an XL or a UK 16 or 18 and as you say you know they say the customer is always right and the power is within you to get in touch reach out and make a difference so I hope that inspires other people listening to maybe do the same for some of their favorite brands too if you would like to be featured as train happy trooper of the week then of course please get in touch via email like Anna did you can email into trainhappypodcast at gmail.com 
or you can send us a direct message over on Instagram and you should definitely go follow us on there too where we're adding lots more extra train happy podcast content so go follow us over on Instagram at train happy podcast all right let's hear from the brilliant Holly and let's talk all things fitness pre and post pregnancy Holly, welcome to the podcast. How are you? How have you been? How are you feeling about 2021 now? Um, how am I? I am well. Uh, I am tired. Uh, and I think the last year has been just, oh, just, it, you don't, I don't even know where to start. I think for everyone in the fitness industry, it's been, uh, it's been a bit of a weird one. Lots of us have had to pivot really quickly um you know our business it's it's been just really strange you know we've had massive highs and massive lows which I think everyone has you know we're really lucky that we're healthy and I need to kind of caveat everything you know we've been so so lucky and um the last year has been terrible for so many people so I feel really lucky that we've kind of come through it and we're all okay um but you know I'd be lying if I pretended from a business point of view it hadn't been really stressful you know, our whole family's income is comes from Pilates PT. Me and my husband both work for the business. And the night that Boris announced that gyms had to close, that we've got two studios in London, that instantly, you know, ended all of our income. So it, that was a real low for us. But then we launched a new product, the Bump Plan, and we started live classes. And I got to teach people again after having Freya, which I'd really missed. So it's been it's been just a really strange year which I know it has been for everybody uh yeah and Freya was still really diddy you know lockdown she had her first birthday during lockdown so um yeah I was juggling a baby in a business and, and like lots of women were so yeah it was, it was tough yeah I think this past year um it uh, you know seeing friends who've had children and babies and have not kind of had that like normal experience that is expected of being able to socialize with other babies and have your play dates and have that usual interaction you know Freya having her first birthday in the pandemic is probably not what you imagined how has it been from a like a motherhood perspective has it felt a lot to juggle like you say the business and a baby and and all that in between yeah, I think if I'm talking as a mother, um, motherhood can actually be really lonely. Mm. So you, it's it's weird because you're on the one hand never alone. You know, you are yeah. you can't even go for a bath. You know, without having to think, right? Do I need to put Freya in the little bouncer so I can get five minutes in the bath? I actually don't think I had a bath for like a year. So um, that's that's a lie. Um, but you you can't do anything uh, without your child around you. Um, at the best of times, you know, that's when you're not in a global pandemic and you do potentially have support around you. So you're always uh, with somebody else, but you feel quite alone because a lot of that time is spent, you know, overnight when everyone else is asleep, feeding, um, or, you know, you're tied to the house quite a lot with nap times and things like that. So motherhood can feel quite lonely at the best of times. Um, during a pandemic, obviously that is a lot worse and I just think for mums in general the pandemic has just really left them feeling alone they haven't got their support network we're always saying that it takes a village to, to bring up a child and suddenly that village is removed and yes you can see grandparents on FaceTime you know and yes there were lots of things done over Zoom but 
it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. No. Um, and with schools closing and nurseries closing, you know, that then meant that anyone who was still having to work, especially full time, they were expected to work full time and also childcare full time. So it, it was a really, really difficult uh, situation for a lot of mothers and fathers. Um, I feel really lucky that Freya at least had that first year where she did swimming lessons and she went to baby sensory. Um, I feel really sad for women who had their babies during the pandemic, who didn't get those experiences at the start that you never really get back. But then on the flip side, there have been some positives because you know we're always saying to women, like, don't do too much in those first few months. Don't have loads of visitors. Just enjoy being at home with your baby, not having to put clothes on if you don't want to, having your boobs out the whole time. <laughs> and I think it's really tempting to just have all the visitors. So I do think that there's, there's probably been some benefits, but it's definitely been difficult as, as a parent. Um, during the pandemic um, juggling a business as well uh, you know there's those clips of newsreaders um, working from home with like their kids coming in in the background that was definitely a thing when I first started teaching the live classes I was doing them in my living room um, so my husband might be in the kitchen you know behind me I had the door behind me Freya would be in the kitchen behind me with the dog trying to keep her quiet like feeding her whilst I was trying to teach and you know, like constantly juggling who was going to be where so it, it was definitely a juggle but we did it and hopefully we'll never have to do it again and um it's, it's an experience, you know. We'll talk about this in the future, I'm sure, and, and laugh about it. But at the time, it was really, really difficult. Yeah, this is definitely going to be one to tell for grandchildren. <laughs> I think a lot of us are going to, you know, it's going to be the new during the war. It's going to be, it's going to be that, but it's it's been that that intense and I think that tricky. Um, so you are a Pilates instructor, personal trainer, and now you are kind of doing a lot around pre and postnatal fitness. What was it that even initially got you into fitness? I'd love to hear a bit about your journey because obviously we've known each other professionally for a few years now, but I'd love to hear your story of how you got into fitness and why Pilates. Yeah, so I've worked as a full-time fitness instructor for over 10 years now. Um, and I think that it was always meant to happen. So um, basically, I grew up with a father in the parachute regiment. So they're like the ones that go in and they go hard and they're really, really fit and really, really strong. And they are um, really competitive. You know, they have to be the best. So I grew up seeing that and seeing my dad exercise because he had to stay fit and he wanted to be the best. And so I saw that and, um, you know, I think that really did rub off on me. And, you know, I saw fitness as, as keeping him safe, you know. Then I think like a lot of women our age, I also saw my mom and other women around me um, probably exercising just because they felt like they had to, not necessarily through joy. I remember doing Jane Fonda with my mom. Um, and I think that back then, you know, there was a real emphasis on exercise being around weight loss and being skinny you know like proper skinny and then not don't eat fat you know don't eat this it, I feel like it was a really restrictive time ironically given you know I don't think it's got all that much better but anyway that was back then so luckily I um 
had actually a really positive relationship with exercise. I actually then went to a military boarding school. Now, I'm not from a rich background. It was funded by the MOD um, because they don't want army kids constantly moving all the time. So I was really lucky that I went to this military boarding school, but it was like proper military. Like we did parades on a weekend. I did assault courses. I fired a rifle um, and I loved it. It was probably one of the best things that happened to me. And the friends I made there are like sisters that I will always have around me. So their exercise, again, was treated as something that you did because you wanted to be strong and you wanted to be healthy and fit. So then I went to university to study psychology. I actually wanted to be a pastry chef. And my school were like, look, you can't go, you can't leave school and go straight to be a pastry chef. Like, just in case you change your mind, go get a degree, um, any degree. So I literally just like put my finger in the air and chose one. I chose psychology thinking that sounds really interesting. Went to university, but I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. And so I basically spent four years and a fair amount of money going mad um you know after being in a boarding school a military boarding school I think I just blew my head off and just had a lot of fun but then I would come back to London um and do work experience in kitchens because I just I knew that's what I was going to end up doing but at the end of my degree um well so was, I was doing psychology found it really interesting and in my final year for my dissertation I um decided to look into eating disorders in first year students because what I was seeing around me is a lot of women who didn't have a similar um, relationship with exercise. And when you go to university, you know, you haven't got your mum or your dad looking out for what you eat. You know, maybe you're drinking more than you would have done before. You might put on a bit of weight, fair enough. You don't have time to exercise. So what I was seeing was lots of girls kind of getting into this trap of putting on a bit of weight at uni, but then also feeling the pressure to look good. Mm. And so then abusing exercise and abusing food. And it was a bit of a shock to me, to be honest. And I also found it incredibly depressing. Um, so my dissertation was on, is there an increase in eating disorders when women go to university? And that was fascinating. And then at the end of uni, I was offered an apprenticeship with um like the person to work for in pastry and so I was really excited moved to London in like the smallest studio flat in the absolute dive of an area um lived on my own didn't really know anybody went and worked there and it was hell it was exactly what you think it could be like really long hours a really aggressive aggressive environment um really unhealthy like I didn't have time to eat I didn't have money to eat so I just got really skinny, didn't have time to exercise. I was really, really not well. And after about a year, my parents kept saying like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Um, are you sure that you're okay? And I kept saying like, no, it's too good an opportunity to give up. And then one day I just literally woke up in the morning. I was like, that's it. I can't do it anymore. I literally can't, I can't do this. So I didn't even work my notice. The person involved kind of said, look, you do this, that's it, you're done in, in like pastry. I'd won awards, like it was all going so well. Um, and I just thought, I just can't do it. Like this is not, I'm, this is not good for my mental health. So anyway, I had really quite bad depression actually. Um, and so while I got my head clean and got sorted, um, a friend of mine said, look, I work for a charity and the owner also owns a Pilates studio and I work from that Pilates studio. They need a receptionist. Why don't you just come along and um, interview and, you know, we could hang out and we can work out like what you want to do. And so that was literally the turning point. So I started as a receptionist in a reformer studio, 
and I loved it like straight away. I loved being around people. I loved the classes. I was encouraged to do classes every day. And with Reformer Pilates, I just fell in love straight away with the fact that it's about making your body the strongest and most functional that it could possibly be. Like there's no talk of, of like fat loss. There's no talk of, you know, no one cares what you look like. We just care. Like, can you do this? How can we make you stronger? Mm -hmm. Oh, your shoulder creeps forwards. I wonder if we can try and correct that for you and fix that. And so I just instantly fell in love with that. And then it kind of, yeah, snowballed. So then I was made manager then the um, instructor started saying, look, have you thought about teaching it? And I'd never thought about it. it was, fitness was never mentioned at my school as a career. And I still think that that's kind of the case now. Um, so the owner said, well, look, if you go get qualified, I'll hire you. So then I worked there as an instructor and a couple of other studios. Then I was made head trainer at those at two of the studios. Then the owner offered to sell me the studio. I went to buy it right at the last minute. She doubled the price. Um, I then took on my own studio in Fulham and then the second studio in Knightsbridge and it just kind of grew from there. But I just knew that Pilates was what I wanted to do. I did then go on to do PT qualifications and other qualifications on top of that. But Pilates has always been like where my heart is. So, yeah, bit of a long winded way of getting here. But in hindsight, I think everything that I did led me to here and why I am so passionate about about the message that I have I didn't know you did um I didn't know you were a pastry chef so are you like queen of desserts do you still flex that muscle occasionally do you get to you know I suppose pre-baby it's probably easier to just whip something up in the kitchen but do you still is that still a hobby or is that something that you don't really do anymore I think the saddest part, although like obviously that whole year, I feel like that's just like a year that I just lost of my life. But also it's that that was all I was passionate about for like my whole life. You know, my mum paid when I was younger to take me and her to do um, like a workshop with this person. Um, like it was my whole life. You know, I went to Thames Valley University whilst I was um, doing that job. So I was also doing like a, a qualification in it. And then, to be honest, for a long time, it was more just, a, it associ- I, it, I got, it associated me with, like, stress and, and yeah. anxiety and just, like, even talking about it now, you know, like, you get that feeling in your chest, like, oh, gosh, I remember it so well. So, actually, the saddest thing is that it kind of lost me that love for it, that passion, which is fine because, you know, fitness is my passion now, and, and mm. so that's fine. Um, but I think because I associate it with so much negativity, you know, my husband always laughs that I've never made him a birthday cake, <laughs> even though we've been together like nearly 10 years, because it's just, yeah, it, it just, it, I lost the love for it. So it's it's a real shame. But who knows, you know, I've made Freya a birthday cake, um, and that wasn't too stressful. So yeah, I just think that when, if something, if you associate something with like a really tough period of your time, I think you kind of lose a bit of love for it. I totally relate for me and musical theatre in the sense that I just didn't really want much to do with it. Didn't really want to sing, didn't want to do anything, but I knew that, but now I, I've kind of got to the point where like I miss it and I'd love to just pursue it as a hobby for something that has no pressure, but because there was so much pressure and consequence to what I was doing previously, I just fell out of love with it and just didn't end up doing it because 
I was so worried about what people thought rather than just doing it for the sake of enjoyment is a whole different thing. Yeah. So and I think that's, I think that's really important if there's any instructors listening. Mm. So let's say fitness is your passion and you turn it into your job. There have been times over the last 10 years where I've really had to remind myself, like, remember what happened last time. So if I've been working, for example, I worked in a physio uh, and the owner was really horrible and no one really liked them. And I just didn't want to, I didn't leave it long before I just thought, you know what, actually this isn't serving me and there's a risk that things can go the way they did before. So I'm just not going to work here anymore. I'll take the cut and pay and I will just work elsewhere. And so that's why, you know, I set up that Fulham studio because I was like, I actually want my own place and I want to be in charge of like what I get to pay my instructors. And I want to be the one to like organize staff training. And I just, I felt, I think that that awful year has meant that it's been really important to me that I know this is going to be my job for a long time. And I want to make sure that I always enjoy it and it doesn't ruin my love for fitness. So, you know, if you are working somewhere and you can get you get that feeling that you are going to a a dark place or it's not serving you or you're anxious about turning up for work. If there's any possibility of you moving on and closing that door, then you've got to make sure you do. Otherwise, you might lose that love for fitness. And that would be awful. Totally. So I'm interested in how that love for fitness and maybe your relationship with fitness perhaps changed when you were pregnant and had your daughter who is now almost She's two. two next week. Yeah, yeah, next Friday. It's bonkers. Um, so everything that I've done in the, everything I've done in the fitness industry has always, always been about in promoting function. Mm. And I'd say 99% of my clients are women. Occasionally I get a guy and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. There's a man in the studio, but mainly it's women. And I've seen what happens to women who abuse their bodies. And I've honestly heard everything. You know, our studios in London are one-to-one. So I really get to know those clients. And some of them came to our wedding, you know, you get really close to them, but I have heard everything. Like, yeah, I've heard every way that a woman has tried to lose weight. And so I guess I was seeing like the pointy end of the scale. And um, so everything I do has to be about getting rid of that and trying to encourage these women that actually look, weight loss is not what this is about. Like, let's get you really strong, really functional. Let's change your opinion about exercise in your body. And then maybe you won't care so much about how much you weigh or what dress size you are. So, you know, yeah, everything we do has to make sure like this is not gonna make women feel bad. So um, mainly I work with women. Now, when you work with women, you are inevitably going to then work with pregnant women or women who've had babies. And so I've worked over the years with lots and lots of pregnant women. And it is a, it's a strange time because um, on the one hand, you have a bit of freedom from diet culture because you're kind of like, I am now looking after somebody else, like literally inside me. So I'm going to, I'm not going to partake in some of these dangerous behaviors or take tablets and things like that. So you've got a bit of freedom there. You're no longer trying to lose weight or expected to lose weight. You know, you've got to gain weight. So I think there's a real freedom there. But then also, you know, if you're used to controlling the way that your body looks through diet and exercise, it's also quite a scary time because all of a sudden 
you somebody else has taken over your body and you do kind of feel a bit out of control of your body so it can be a really um confusing time for lots of women but from my perspective it's a great time to find pregnant women and scoop them up and that's a year that I've kind of got them for if we think you know all of their pregnancy and a bit of postnatal where we can actually say look your priorities have changed now and you know let's instead look at the health benefits and the functional benefits of exercise now you know now that you don't need to worry about weight loss like let's park that and then hopefully by the time they've had their babies and actually, you know, I think you, you do change a lot when you become a mom, maybe um, we'll have been able to change their perception of exercise for good. And that is definitely something I've seen a lot of. So then when I got pregnant, it was actually really interesting to then be able to feel how it actually felt, you know, like, what does it feel like to exercise? And even though I know and have done so much research into what is safe, when you're pregnant, just because someone's telling you it's safe, it still doesn't always feel that way. You know, I knew that running was fine, but I just didn't feel comfortable running during my pregnancy. So it was really helpful to actually see what it felt like as a pregnant woman. Um, and also how much of a benefit staying active during pregnancy has on your body. There is so much evidence and so much research that goes into um, how can we get pregnant women to stay active and like what are the benefits what are the risks um and I cannot tell you how much of a positive experience staying active during my pregnancy was and what a difference it did make postnatally for me so it was really helpful I think it does make a difference to your teaching I'm not saying that you have to have ever had a baby to teach prenatal but for me after you know all those years of teaching pregnant women it was just really helpful to be able to put myself inside their bodies and think mm. actually what does it feel like and is it understandable that they're nervous um and what are their concerns and so that massively then led us into the bump plan and, and how we structured the bump plan yeah I think it's so interesting I was talking to um Jack's uh nanny recently and we were talking about um, pregnant women and said, she said, oh, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't do anything. You, you can't move. You can't do anything. You shouldn't even put your arms above your head. And there are so, you know, there's these outdated views around what pregnant women can and cannot do. And, you know, I'm always a massive advocate of listening to your body. And I think if your body's telling you you need to slow down during pregnancy, then that's totally valid. But there are also these uh, maybe outdated fears and concerns around the safety element of uh, fitness. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, I think that therefore makes people more nervous, makes people more cautious. Has that been your experience? Have you heard through your years of training, have you heard kind of it all? Yeah. <laughs> all sort of. So actually, since you launched the bump plan, it's been really interesting how many women have got in touch and said, like, and talked of their experiences of exercising during pregnancy. So we've had women who've been going out for runs with bumps where people in the street have literally shouted at them, like, put your baby first, or like, yeah. are you stupid? And, um, or family members that obviously well-meaning have said to them, like, you know, are you sure that you should be exercising? Like, shouldn't you be putting your feet up? And so um, if you're met with negativity, you're either going to hide the fact that you're still exercising or you're just going to stop. Um, but also there are lots of rumours out there that are completely unfounded. And so if all you ever hear 
And these rumors, then as soon as you get pregnant, you're like, well, I just can't exercise anymore. Some of those rumors that are unfounded, like there is no research, is for example, that um, exercise increases your risk of a miscarriage. And given that miscarriages are quite common and we don't often know what the reason is, like they're just a very sad, random thing that happens. Um, obviously that's most pregnant women's biggest fear, but there is no evidence to suggest that if you are healthy, you know, and you have no health conditions that would cause you to have a miscarriage, exercise is not going to be the thing that gives you a miscarriage. Like there is no, there is no link, but also that you might go into early labor, preterm labor, same thing. There's no evidence to suggest that exercise is going to make you have your baby early. So, but they, that is the thing that we hear time and time again. So there are these rumors out there, but I think it's just really important to stress that actually they are rumors. Like there is no evidence and we can't just work anecdotally. That's really important to me that the bump plan was evidence-based. We have to look at the research and look at the literature and think, okay, so, you know, what is, what is accurate? And not just what did I do, what should you be doing? So the bump plan is completely evidence-based. Um, and there are so many benefits to exercising during pregnancy. And that's why the NHS and the Department of Health are now putting a lot of like effort behind getting more pregnant women to stay active. So when we look at the benefits to exercising during pregnancy, I think it's really helpful to look at um, what does exercising during pregnancy prevent? And then what does it promote? So what it prevents is it reduces your chances of things like pregnancy-related hypertension disorders, so issues with blood pressure and things like preeclampsia, uh, reduces your risk of gestational diabetes, which is a form of diabetes you get when you're pregnant. Um, it reduces uh, maternal weight gain, and obviously I don't like to talk about weight gain, but we do know that there are some risk factors with gaining too much weight during pregnancy. Um, so it can help kind of regulate that. Um, it can reduce your chances of things like um, pregnancy related lower back pain, which is really debilitating and pelvic girdle pain. So in general, it reduces health risks. Um, so that's what it kind of prevents. And then what exercising during pregnancy promotes is it can lead to a shorter, easier um, labor um, with less interventions. Um, active women, Active pregnant women have, uh, in one study, shown to have like 25% less chance of having a cesarean, which you can see why the NHS are promoting active pregnancies because mm -hmm. cesareans cost the NHS a huge amount of money. Plus, you know, they're, they are, as someone who's had an emergency cesarean, you know, they, they are harder to recover from. Um, so, yeah, it's... It, uh, it can affect your labor in a positive way, which let's be honest, we're all thinking about. Um, and we know that all the mental health benefits that you have exercising when you're not pregnant, you still have all of those when you're pregnant. Um, it can improve how comfortable you are during your pregnancy. It can speed up your postnatal recovery. And there's a really, really interesting study that I mentioned to you beforehand. And it was done on mice. Um, but remember, the reason that we study mice is that actually they have lots of similar behavior patterns to humans. 
Um, but there was a study that showed that female mice that voluntarily exercised during pregnancy, so the mice that were more active whilst they were pregnant, had offspring that were more physically active as adults. Mm. So there's the, there's the conversation around, you know, an active pregnant woman, is she potentially going to pass those benefits on to her baby? And we're setting up good habits for when we are postnatal and exercising in front of your children is also showing them how exercise is important for your health, not for how you look. Um, you know, so there are so many benefits. There are also benefits to the fetus. So exercising can actually help with placental growth. So it can make your baby stronger or the you know the mechanisms that help support your baby stronger so when you actually listen to all of that and you you think that okay so there is zero evidence to suggest that staying active during pregnancy is going to have a detrimental effect on my pregnancy um, yet there are so many health benefits maybe I should give it a go and I always think I have not had a baby and I've not been pregnant so I cannot, ha I, you know, I can't necessarily relate to that experience. But my understanding is that giving birth and even leading up to birth and the contractions prior to that before the actual delivery part is so taxing on the body and you get a lot of lack of sleep and it's pretty exhausting that you're almost training your body for the marathon that is giving birth and giving yourself the kind of physical strength and the mental strength to really cope with that because it is so it's a lot for the body to go through it's it's one of the biggest things that a, a woman's body will go through and if you have mentally said you know I've worked I'm I feel strong I've you know I know I can do this I think there's that kind of psychological and physical encouragement there that kind of makes it feel you know I I hope that it would make people feel more comfortable or more more confident that they can they can do it yeah you've hit the nail on the head like you know even though you're saying you know you haven't had a baby like you can definitely empathize and you've empathized perfectly how we word it in the bump plan is that like pregnancy is the longest marathon you'll ever run yeah. you know like it's nine ten months long and you are increasingly carrying something heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier by the end of your pregnancy you know your bump can weigh many many kilograms and um, so pregnancy is the longest marathon you'll ever run and then labor and motherhood are the hardest marathons you'll ever run so a lot of the feedback that we're getting in the bump plan is that the women feel like pumped you know they feel strong they don't feel weak and fragile they feel like absolute badasses by the time they go into labor. And that's kind of how I felt. Like I was, I was so ready to do this. It was like, it was like the day before a marathon or, or a race day. You know, you're good to go, you're ready. And you know that whatever happens, you're going to cope with it. Mm. You know, I don't, I haven't really ever talked about my labor all that much, but like mine was a, a really like, just not nice, but it was three days of hyperstimulation. So that's where you've basically been given too many drugs to encourage contractions because I had to have Freya, um, uh, she, I was not very well, so she had to be induced. So it's three days of like horrific contractions, no break. So I saw that as in hindsight, like that was just such a long, hard marathon. Um, and then ended up sadly with like a, a very quick emergency cesarean. So postnatally, I got a bit of a shock. 
But like two years later, you know, I teach two, three classes a day. I can do everything I used to be able to do, you know, and I got and I got through it. And so I think we, that's the way we need to be talking to women. It's not about instead of saying what you can't do when you're pregnant and saying, like, don't do this, don't do that. We should be saying this is what you can do and this is what it's going to help you with. Because as soon as you're a mom, it doesn't matter how many times you read, like, don't lift anything heavy babies are heavy and they want to be hugged all day and you want to hug them car seats are so heavy and you can only hold them on one side buggies you know it's not easy being a mum so we've got to get you guys ready for that now let's use pregnancy as a time to train ready for the demands of labor and motherhood yeah it's so interesting that you say that you've been able to return to fitness and be able to return what was that return like was it like a slow kind of easing back in and you know having a c-section is major abdominal surgery right so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of recovery that goes into that what was that experience like and have you learned more about your body as a consequence of that oh my god yeah I just got a huge respect for the female body so now I was big by the end of having fresh she was heavy she was a big big baby um so I was really big and then had you know that that labor and then I think I did I just didn't think I was going to have a cesarean I guess if anyone's listening to this who's pregnant right now um my biggest advice would be just like be really open-minded it's really great to want to have you know as calm and relaxing as natural a birth as possible but you just never know, you know, labor is unpredictable. So make sure that you do read about what happens in a cesarean, how many people will be in the room, because that's quite a shock for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, what that might be like postnatally. Um, when I came out of uh, having Freya and everything, I was also quite poorly, so I had sepsis. So I was in hospital for a while with Freya, like on a drip and things like that. And I just think I just got such a shock at, at like how big a surgery actually cesarean is and, you know, how much you use your abdominals. Because every time you go to, you know, just cough or like carry like breastfeed or or turn over, just so, so difficult. So I suddenly got a massive understanding of just how much you do use your core. Even I'm a Pilates teacher and I tell people that all the time. It was really interesting and helpful, I guess, to find out what that was like. But I've always been really honest that I I really did get a bit of a shock. And I just sort of thought to myself, like, I'll never be able to teach again. I'll never be able to teach Pilates again. I'll never feel the same again. Um, And I'm sure anyone listening who's had a cesarean will will really recognize those feelings. You just can't ever imagine feeling normal again. But you do. And it's incredible how well the body heals and you just have to take your time one of the saddest things to me is how much I see um in the media like you know oh they just they sensationalize it so much like look at so-and-so who's looking fantastic and she's got she only gave birth two weeks ago that's so damaging because then we look at that and we think oh my god that's where I should be no like if you rush you will set yourself back by so much or you will really hurt yourself um so I got a real appreciation for the body but I also took it really slow I think because I was really aware of how much of a shock I'd had um at how big an operation that was um I I took my time I didn't really do all that much exercise for a while except pelvic floor work at the beginning you know I would go for walks and stuff and just I, I just I really had to listen to my body because it's our job, you know, our bodies are our income. 
And then um, I would say, you know, you often hear guidelines like if you've had a vaginal birth, wait six weeks and then you can exercise. If you've had a cesarean, wait, wait 12 weeks. Or I got to 12 weeks and I just thought, I do not feel safe to exercise yet. So, so I didn't. So I think I would also just stress that those guidelines are guidelines. Everyone's birth is different. Everyone's C-section is different. Everyone's vaginal birth is different. So don't like use those guidelines as hard and fast and don't be upset if when you get to that point, you don't feel ready or your doctor says you're not ready. You've got plenty of time, but you know, two years later, I can do every advanced exercise in Pilates. You know, I'm teaching two or three classes a day because I have to not out of like choice necessarily. <laughs> um, you know, and you do get back there, but don't rush. It's a long road. But if you, if you take your time, there's no reason why, some of our postnatal clients say that they feel stronger than they did pre-pregnancy. You know, it's not like once you've had a baby, that's it. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was slow uh, recovery, but fair enough. And it's not for forever. I think it's really important to emphasize that you, you go at your own pace and you go by what your body is telling you and there's no right or wrong way. It's about what's right for you. And I think it's really important we do discuss those pressures that women face to snap back, to get their baby body back. There's so much discussion around it. And I just feel so much for those um, mums, especially kind of first time mums who have just done one of the hardest things they will ever do and they're feeling and you know like we know that there's so many emotions and the hormones are like all over the place and it's just a really vulnerable time and then we're playing on people's insecurities and trying to get them to think about shrinking themselves when they're trying to focus on keeping another human alive like the priorities are so misplaced and so misdirected it's so frustrating that we we feel uh, you know we we feel that that pressure and mm -hmm. we expect so much you know we we really beat ourselves up you know whether you've had a baby or not you always so many women beat themselves up over thinking it's their fault where they're really just it's like human nature like working its course and and doing its thing and bodies change and that's okay that's normal. I remember, you know, Freya must have only been a couple of months old and a family friend of ours, we'd gone over to theirs to see them and he put his arm around me and he said, so are you planning on kind of getting back in shape or are you just taking your time? And luckily I, it, you know, it's kind of water for ducks back for me, but I just thought like, how amazing is it that that's something that people feel acceptable to say out loud, you know? And also I'm kind of busy right now, like trying to keep a baby alive, trying to breastfeed, trying to keep the business going. So, um, you know, I would say anyone who sees those types of images of celebrities, it's always really important to remind yourself that they will have a chef that's cooking yeah. for them. I mean, you're lucky as a, as a mum that's maybe not a celebrity or very, very wealthy, if you can get like a snack bar down you in between feeds, you know, they've got childcare, they'll have a full-time nanny with them potentially. Um, they've got money on their side. You know, money is sadly going to make your life easier that's what money buys you so it's really important to not compare I'd also say it's um important to I also say this to like our postnatal clients like don't compare yourself to to me or any other like fitness instructor uh and that's whether you're pregnant or had a baby or not like no one should ever compare themselves to fitness instructors because fitness instructors and um, like their job is fitness so like they yes. have they have to exercise 
you know, you might be a um, physics teacher. I don't need to know as much about physics as you do because that's not my job. And the same as you do not need to look like us because you don't work in fitness. So I think it's really important as well that we, we just don't compare ourselves to anyone else because no one's in the same situation as you. You just focus on you. Um, and, you know, when you're ready and the time comes, to deal with that then then deal with it but please god deal with it safely um and don't just go straight back to doing crunches um and and running uh take your time i would say at the beginning of my postnatal classes like this will feel dry like this will feel dull at first but if you guys nail this stuff you can then go off and do all the crazy stuff you did before but just nail this stuff first and then you can do what you like yeah there is an element of postnatal that you have to go back to basics because you are trying to um strengthen that core and and whether it's been a c-section or whether it's been a vaginal birth both have been um potentially separated your your core can be separated during your pregnancy so what's your advice I know you said it's not like it's not very glamorous <laughs> but um what is your advice for people kind of it may be in early days of, of post of of postnatally I don't know if that's the phrase yeah um, wanting, wanting to yeah wanting to kind of return to fitness but uh, gently yeah so I think um for me what I always really try and stress with postnatal clients is um and it's a really like basic crude comparison but I do think it works if we think about where your baby or your uterus is placed, it's behind your abdominal muscles. So you've got, you know, your uterus and your baby in the abdominal cavity. And then outside of that, you've got your abdominals on top. So as your baby gets bigger, your abdominals, they have to lengthen, they have to stretch and stretch and stretch. And that is a completely normal um, part of pregnancy. You've got your two abdominal muscles down the front, rectus abdominis or six pack abs, that um, they have to go somewhere. So they do separate. And that is a completely normal part of pregnancy. Often women think, oh my gosh, my abs are separated. I've got diastasis. Well, that actually has to happen. Like that's completely normal. So those muscles have stretched over time. And I like to imagine it like a hair bubble. You know, you keep, imagine if you kept using a hair bubble, you know how it goes a bit floppy, a bit flaccid, horrible word. Um, it goes a bit loose. Well, we can kind of imagine the abdominals a bit like that postnatally. Like they've lost their give, they've lost their pull, understandably. And when we don't have that support, it's the same as if you tried to put it back in your hair. It wouldn't be able to do its job. It, your hair would fall out. Well, you know, when you haven't got that strength initially, understandably, postnatally, we've got to be really, really careful. We haven't got the same stability. So if we then start going running, crossfitting, jumping around, before we've built that strength back, that's when we're most likely to injure ourselves or potentially, you know, end up with a prolapse, which is where your internal organs start to fall out or your womb things um so anyway so we need to try and get that strength back and you can get that strength back by activating those muscles if we keep stimulating them if we keep bringing blood to those muscles if we keep reminding them of, of what they're supposed to do then you can get that give back you can get that strength that your hair bubble has back and so it's really important that that's what we focus on first. And that's why the postnatal classes, you know, so we're not going to be doing crazy exercise, we're not going to do loads of crunches. We're going to start thinking about building you back up from internally. So as soon as you've had your baby and you've done your first wee and poo, um, you could start doing pelvic floor exercises again, especially if you've had a vaginal birth and you've got some tearing, because what you're doing is bringing blood to the area and that stimulates healing. So 
pelvic floor work you can do straight away. And the pelvis, the pelvic floor isn't just on its own, you know, it's connected to lots of other muscles, particularly the abdominals. So you're already going to start stimulating those abdominals to kick back in. And then so pelvic floor exercises almost immediately. And then the second group of exercises that we try and think about postnatally is your transverse muscle, which is like your corset wraps around you quite literally like a corset. So we would then be starting to think about exercises that, that stimulate that because that's going to support your lower back. Um, but a big one is breathing. You know, we don't often think about breathing as being anything to do with um, strength or abdominals. But during pregnancy, it's very hard to breathe fully because your uterus quite literally comes up to your diaphragm and your diaphragm contracts and relaxes to breathe. So we breathe really shallow and the ribs expand during pregnancy. So postnatally learning to breathe again will also help you bring your core strength back and calm you down, which you need as a new mum. So I think it doesn't look like we think postnatal exercise is going to look, but it's really important that we get the attention back to how the core works first before we then start adding load and impact. Um, it's take your time. Yeah, it's so interesting how breath work is is part of that. And because, you know, like that diaphragm and that that is all, you know, part of how we connect to our, our tummies as well. And like, you know, as we breathe into the, the depths of your stomach, I'm thinking from a singing perspective as well. We used to get trained to do that. It's really, yeah, it's really interesting how there are so many like little things you can do. I just wondered if you had any examples of pelvic floor exercises or are there any sort of like, um, cause I've seen there are kind of pelvic floor products you can get. Is there anything you sort of recommend in that area? And is it something you should be doing prior to? Anyway. Labor? Yeah. I mean, yes. should I be doing it regardless? Yes. Any woman with a pelvic floor should be doing pelvic floor work. And the pelvic floor is a muscle like any other muscle. We train our glutes, we train our abs, we train our biceps. We should be training the pelvic floor. Quickly going back to what you mentioned about breathing. Um, if we think of the abdominal cavity, so the space where we're sort of separated off between our lungs, we've got our lungs, then our diaphragm, and then that creates like a balloon underneath with your um, internal organs like, you know, your intestines and all of that lot. And in there, we call that the abdominal cavity. And um, that's where your baby's also going to be. Um, when we breathe, the, pel the diaphragm um, is like a, a cone, like an arch shape, and it contracts and releases and contracts and releases to help you breathe. Well, the pelvic floor is at the bottom of that balloon, and it does the same thing. So when we breathe in, the pelvic floor relaxes. Otherwise, there would be such a buildup of pressure in that balloon that it would burst. So as you breathe in and the pressure changes in that balloon, the pelvic floor relaxes. And then when you breathe out, the pelvic floor lifts. So there's always this maintenance of intra-abdominal pressure. So if we're not breathing properly, if we're breathing really, really shallow, like we're not really using our pelvic floor very well and vice versa, we find that someone who's got a really tight, grippy pelvic floor is gonna really struggle to breathe properly because they can't breathe in enough because the pelvic floor won't let them. So that's where the pelvic floor becomes really, really important um, when it comes to breath work and using your core effectively. When it comes to the pelvic floor, 
Often we're taught to um, contract it by holding it a wee. First of all, definitely don't do that because it can increase your risk of urine infections. But also the pelvic floor is so much bigger than that. So I think it's really important, first of all, we just quickly recap what the pelvic floor looks like. So it's like a, if your pelvis, the bowl of your pelvis, it's obviously it's bones, uh, and it's like a bowl, but it doesn't have a base to it. There's no bony base to it. So everything would just fall out if we didn't have anything there. So we've got our pelvic floor, which is like a big hammock of muscles. And that fills that gap. So that's got the job of holding in all your internal organs, stopping you, um, well, controlling poo, we, and helping you grip during sex. So it's got a massive, massive job. So why for a muscle that has so many jobs um, are we not training it are we not remembering it and that's why it's become really like it's got more airtime recently thank god so that pelvic floor is like a big hammock of muscles and it connects to your pubic bone at the front it con uh, connects to your tailbone or your coccyx at the back and then your sit bones so it's actually massive so just imagining holding in a wee is not going to cut it um, it also wraps around all three of your holes. So it wraps around your urethra. So it stops you from weeing when you don't want to. And it controls wee when you do want to. It wraps around your vagina, which is why it can help increase pleasure during sex. It's important postnatally when the vagina will have stretched. And then it wraps around the anus. So it helps control wind and poo. So um, we need to be thinking about all of it. So um, it's really helpful to use visualizations. Really, we should be doing 10 second holds and pulses, okay? So long holds are gonna work your endurance muscles in the pelvic floor and the pulses are gonna work your fast twitch muscles, both important. So in an ideal world, two to three times a day, we should be doing 10 10 second holds and 10 rounds of 10 pulses. And that's a lot, but you are also working your pelvic floor during sex um, and during a lot of workouts as well. So don't panic if you don't do that. And some visualizations I really like is imagining picking up blueberries with all three holes. So picking up blueberries, so you're closing and lifting, sucking a tampon into the body, which I'm pretty sure is impossible, but that's a really great one because what we want is closing and lifting, sucking a smoothie through a straw, gripping your partner if you're um, if you have a male partner gripping their penis um things like that where it's a, a closing and a lifting as well are really important and then a question that i get asked a lot is how do i know if i'm doing it right well if i'm speaking plainly there's a few ways you could do it you could put a finger in and squeeze and see can i feel the pressure on my finger um, you can use a mirror to look down there. You've got a perineum, which is the space between your vagina and your anus. When you lift your pelvic floor, that should move. You know, you might see it lift and then lower, or you might feel it if you're wearing a thong. Um, or you could use a pelvic floor trainer. And they are expensive sometimes, but they would give you biofeedback that tells you. But I would say if you were ever worried, especially postnatally, um, speak to a women's health physio, because mm. they have like a probe that they'll put inside you and they'll ask you to squeeze and it shows them whether you're doing it right. Because it's important that we're able to contract the pelvic floor, but also relax it as well. Like any other muscle, it needs to be contracted, and released and that's um, something we often forget about. I could talk about the pelvic floor all day, but yeah, it's really important. So we should definitely do it before we get pregnant because during pregnancy, it's got an even heavier job. Um, so during pregnancy, stay on top of it. And then postnatally, it's one of the first things that we should be thinking about doing um, as soon as we've had our babies.
fascinating. Right, we're all going to be start doing our pulses as. as we're <laughs> we'll start. Here. As my pulses <laughs> spoke to me. <laughs> you can normally tell by someone's eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, one thing I wanted to ask, and I wondered if you had any thoughts on this, and um, because I know the answer I usually give, but I often get people in getting in touch with me about various different types of workouts I may be putting out online and saying. Is this suitable mm. for me? I'm pregnant. Is this suitable for, for pregnancy? Yeah. My answer is usually, I don't know, because I don't know you. I don't know your exercise history. I don't know your body. I don't know your experience of pregnancy. I can't give a blanket statement on this. Um, generally, if you have been doing these types of things previously, listen to your body during the work. I'm thinking of my dance workouts in particular, because I had a lot of those recently. I would say just you know, take a moment if you ever need it. Um, similarly, if I have people in my spin classes, I always say, okay, well, you know, you know your body. So if there's ever a point you just want to sit back, have a sip of water, whatever, please do you. I'm not even worried about it. So what are your thoughts on that um, from a kind of general exercise selection perspective? Because I think people love doing specific stuff, but also feel like they want to keep doing some of the things they were doing before. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that there has to be an element of, um, you know, I had it when I first started teaching Pilates, you know, you get someone rock up with a massive bump and say, oh, I hope you don't mind, but I'm pregnant. And you'd be like, oh, crap. Because like, oh, you know, I'm, I can't do that exercise now. I can't do that exercise. And there has to be an element of look, like these women are adults. And if they are choosing to turn up to a class, that's, that's their responsibility. But there is also a risk on the instructor if something worst case scenario were to happen, like they fell over or something, like we do need to be mindful of that. But if we go, if we kind of talk through the, the guidelines, I, I really prefer talking about what pregnant women can do rather than what they can't do. But there's definitely some really basic guidelines that we can adhere to. So when you are pregnant, you can 100% exercise during pregnancy if you have no contraindications to exercise. So contraindications to exercise are reasons why you either might not be safe to exercise or there might just need to be some extra considerations. So they fall into two categories, absolute contraindications. So they're things that mean like, no, like you really should not be exercising. And that might be a heart condition, a lung condition. You know, they're normally quite serious things where the, the mother would probably already know or she would have been told by her midwife or been referred to an obstetrician because she's more high risk. Then there's relative contraindications. And these are things that are potentially less serious and might actually not be an issue with this pregnancy, but it could be something like someone who's had a miscarriage in the past or has had some bleeding. So with those types of people, they might just need to check with their doctor or midwife and say, look, I know I had a miscarriage last time, you know, is there any reason why I might be more at risk this time? Am I allowed to exercise? Most of the time it's a yes. So when it comes to like the bump plan, they have to go through a really lengthy consultation at first. And it will, if it's an absolute contraindication, it will warn them like, look, I'm really sorry, you can't do this. If it's a relative one, we would ask them to get a note from their doctor or their midwife to check their safe. So that's the first thing a pregnant woman should just do just to be on the safe side, double check. Then when they're actually exercising, um, we really what we want is for pregnant women to work at a moderate intensity. Um, and a moderate intensity, obviously we've got high intensity interval training, HIIT, which is like everyone's favorite or lots of people's favorite. 
that's probably a bit much right now during pregnancy. So we want to aim at a moderate intensity. We want to make sure that people are actually, you know, getting out of breath and, and getting a cardiovascular effect, but not working too hard. How do I know if I'm working at a moderate intensity? Well, I should be able to talk. So there's literally the talk test. It's like the most basic name. If you can talk while you're exercising, you're probably working at a moderate intensity. If you are working high intensity, we know you can't really talk. As a teacher, you're trying to, but you can't. So moderate intensity, if that doesn't work for you, the talk test, you can also imagine a scale of one to 10. So maybe one is you doing nothing, 10 is you at a marathon pre-pregnancy, aim for like a six or a seven. So you might say to your friends, oh, it was a bit hard, but you wouldn't say, oh my God, it was hell, it was really hard. So aim at a moderate intensity. The guidelines are similar to pre-pregnancy, around 150 minutes a week. And that can be built up of like lots of 20 minute walks, or it could be, you know, a couple of hour um, slots. I would say though, if you haven't done much exercising pre-pregnancy, start with like 20 minute routines and then build up to half an hour. Um, so it's 150 minutes of roughly moderate intensity exercise a week. You want to have some strength training in there, like resistance training um, at two or three times a week. That could be Pilates because that's body weight. It could be with resistance band. If you already use weights and you already lift heavy, you can continue with that, but you will need to scale it back. Let's say 70% rather than 100%. So you can kind of still do what you did before, but you just adapt it. Um, some things that you that you can't do although I hate talking about those is from about week 16 you don't want to lie on your back for too long I think the guidelines are like three minutes um because that can um it can put pressure um, on important arteries and veins when you're lying on your back because obviously your uterus will press down on them and it can then make you quite unwell so um that would count out things like you know, lying down on your back routines. Um, so actually in the bump plan, we just don't lie on our backs because this is quite uncomfortable when you're pregnant as well. So they're kind of the main like considerations, you know, don't work too hard. Although athletes, you know, they still run marathons, they still compete when they're pregnant, but obviously they've got, they've got professionals that are helping them and they're at a higher level than the general public are going to be. Um, yeah, so at moderate intensity, try not to get too hot because um, your baby's temperature is regulated on your temperature. So you get too hot, they might get a bit hot. So take layers off. Really important that you stay hydrated. So you drink water during the class um, because it's not just you, it's your baby. Um, and don't bump the bump. Really obvious, but like don't bash your bump around. Um, you know, there's, the baby's in there covered in loads of liquid and safe. So bouncing around is not that bad. It's more just, it's not very enjoyable for your boobs or your pelvic floor, but bashing your bump is, is not advised, which I think a lot of that is quite common sense. Yeah. Um, but what I do see is women who um, do still want to keep like doing their berries and, and, you know, doing what they did before. And I just think we need to remember that, yes, there's a lot that you can do, um, but should you do it? Mm, not always, you know, really, we should be thinking about what needs to stay strong during pregnancy to support the weight of your bum, pelvic floor core, glutes, um, and, you know, just maintaining your fitness, not necessarily trying to improve it. Yes, I always say that this is this is a chance to kind of maintain what you've been doing rather than we're not looking for PBs. We're not looking for like these, you know, 
lifting the heaviest you've ever lifted or running the fastest you've ever run. This is about just keeping you fit, keeping you Mm. fit and well and helping you feel strong and confident. Um, One last thing I just thought I haven't mentioned as well is that you, um, when you're pregnant, you're more more flexible. So your body releases um, numerous hormones, one of which is relaxing, which is often like considered like a big bad wolf, but actually it's not a baddie. But you have um, lots of different hormones going around your body as soon as you get pregnant and um, they can make your joints more lax because um, you know they want your body wants your pelvis to be malleable so you can get fit a baby through it you know it's all positive Um, but what that can mean is that let's say you are still doing static stretches so like a hamstring stretch where you're holding it for ages you are going to potentially put yourself at a slightly greater risk of overstretching you know and we need the body to have tension, you know, that's how our joints stay in the right position. So there is a, a slightly increased risk of overstretching. So I just say, instead of lots of static stretches where you're holding and forcing the stretch, try more dynamic stretches. So they're like movement based, you know, like arm circles rather than just holding a pec stretch for ages. And um, because, um, yeah, you, you want to stretch to an enjoyable level it should feel nice but it shouldn't be that you're like holding your breath and frowning um so that's just the other consideration as well you might need to adapt your kind of stretch and mobility routines a bit um and in that first trimester as well the guidelines are kind of still that you can do what you did before again if you've had previous miscarriages or you think that you're going to be a high-risk pregnancy you might just want to be a bit a bit conservative with that um but once you hit that second trimester that's when you want to start thinking about yeah I might be able to still do this but should I still be doing this Mm. this has been such an informative episode I've I'm you know I'm really enjoying listening to you talk about this because you're clearly so passionate about it and I just I've really really enjoyed this conversation so before we end our our chat I have to ask you because I ask everyone who comes on the podcast uh, Holly, what has been your most recent train happy moment? Yeah, so I was thinking about this one and I'd love to say it was one where I thought, you know what, I want to go for a run instead. But actually, when when lockdown hit, um, obviously our, so our studios closed and that was our main source of income. And mine and my husband's salary both is from the, the business and we had a new baby. And so we had to pivot overnight really quickly. So initially I was teaching like three classes a day, seven days a week, doing those classes, doing hit every single day, bearing in mind I was still like a year postnatal. And, um, you know, I did that for quite a while. And I started to notice that I was really starting to burn out. I then completely lost my voice, which has never happened before. So I then got laryngitis and couldn't talk for almost a week, had to cancel all those classes. And then I had to just kind of realize that, like, yes, the business is important. And yes, like, we need to make sure we cover our bills and stuff. But also, like, my health is really important as well. And so I made the decision to to scale back uh, my classes and reduce the hit ones down because they were the biggest demand and um, put myself first and realized that when you work in the fitness industry, like your body is your business. um, But that doesn't mean that you need to pimp it out to the maximum and you have to look after your body and it tells you if you're doing too much so actually mine was more about learning to rest and that's something I've really uh, learned over the last year because it's so tempting to keep going and using adrenaline but then your body will tell you and you'll get injured or as an instructor you'll lose your voice and by that point it's kind of too late 
So yeah, over the last year, um, I've learned a lot more about remembering that you have to put yourself first um, and you have to listen to your body and it will tell you when you're doing too much. Don't you think sometimes there's a bit of a misconception and an expectation that if you work in fitness, you're superhuman and you're Mm. able to do all of these things without consequence, whereas you probably would never recommend a client to do three workouts, you know, teach all these classes. If you, if that was one of your instructors, you'd probably say, whoa, 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 whoa. you're doing too much. But I, I totally understand when you've got like the weight of the business on your shoulders, you just feel like, okay, I've just got to get on with it. And I can do this because I've been doing this for 10 years, but you're right. We're only human and we, we need the rest and we need the recovery as much as our clients. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I, I often look at spinning instructors and just think, how do you guys do it? Cause you guys have to spin at the same time in studio. You know, I'll, I'll stand there and I'll touch that, touch the person and correct them. I'm not doing the whole class. Like I'm just, I'm just helping them. So, um, I think, uh, I, I think the instructors have to just be a little bit careful and then listen to their bodies. Absolutely. From a spin perspective, I have taught I'm about to go back to teaching three times a week, which I haven't done for a few years. And I've had a six month break from the bike. So I'm apprehensive to say the least, <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be fine. But I do know that you can pick and choose your moments on the bike to um, <laughs> go, go a bit, you know, adjust Turn your gears down. a little yeah. bit. So you, you can be a bit more conservative. And there have certainly been times when I've just had a really bad night's sleep and been tired and thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. But you just, you just get on and, the adrenaline that like you say kicks in your performance kicks in and you just do it but you just don't you don't um adjust your resistance to to what you're expecting your class yeah you're not like 90 you can kind of hold it back yeah you yeah can. You i won't can. tell anybody though that's what you're doing. <laughs> i've just given it away i've just given the game away um holly it's been so wonderful where can people find you the bump plan where can they support your work yeah so personally I'm the Pilates PT on Instagram but if you're pregnant I would definitely follow the bump plan um if you're pregnant uh the bump plan was recorded whilst I was pregnant with Freya so all of the workouts I'm pregnant in but I'm also at the same stage of my pregnancy as you are so if you join in week 16 you'll be given videos where I'm at the same stage as you and then as we as you get bigger and more pregnant I also get bigger and pregnant more pregnant which I think is really lovely and the response has been that people have really needed that during during lockdown um the workouts are a combination of pilates and low impact cardio so hopefully from today's podcast you've realized that actually they're kind of the two things that we need to be covering strength and cardio um and there's a seven day free trial as well so if you're interested or you want to be a bit nosy you can always sign up to that um but alongside that it was really important to me that we uh, gave as much information to pregnant women about what they might have to expect postnatally as well and during pregnancy. So there's a huge education hub where we've got incredible female experts together. And there's articles on things like the post-birth poo. Like who knew that after you've had a cesarean or, or you've had a tearing, all of a sudden you've got to do a poo and you, and you get the fear, mm. you know? So there's some great advice in there from Emma Brockwell, Women's Health Physio, talk about perineal massage, sex during pregnancy, like what's safe, how do you keep the romance when you feel very, very big and uncomfortable? So there's loads of really interesting articles in there that maybe 
you haven't thought of before. Um, and also we send you everything that you need. So if you don't have a resistance band at home and a Pilates ball, then that gets sent to you in your starter pack. Um, so I would definitely have a look at that if you're pregnant. Um, obviously, you know that everything I give you is safe. Um, and you get to train with pregnant Holly, whereas everyone else now gets to train with non-pregnant Holly. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. I also do live classes, live and on-demand Pilates and HIIT classes. If you want to train and learn about your body, that's the main thing for, for, for me. If you want to lose weight, it's maybe I'm not the person for you, but if you want to learn why your body does the things that it does, then um, yeah, I'm your girl. And you have your studio as well in London, so you can oh, yeah. like Oops. in person, <laughs> I presume, Matt Pilates and Reformer Pilates. Yeah, so we have a studio in Parsons Green and it's purely one-to-one. So it's just you and the instructor, which is just so lovely. Like you just, it's so nice it just being you two and you get to know each other really well. Um, but in that studio, we've got a Reformer Pilates machine, which are amazing, treadmill TRX. So we either do, um, you know, Reformer Pilates, Matt Pilates, or the Pilates PT method, which is a combination of HIIT and Pilates um, and also pre and postnatal. So yeah, you can do it in person with us and all our instructors are women, um, which is really lovely as well. I have to say, I really love Pilates and I've been, waiting for um, classes to open up to do Reformer again because it's just so lovely and I'm so sad that I at one point dismissed it because I thought it didn't make me sweaty enough or whatever and I'm so sad that I didn't um, you know I completely overlooked it but I I love it and it it is so it feels so lovely to connect to your body in that way because like you say it's all about how you know feeling it you know feeling that connection with your muscles and, and feeling your body working I think you've got to, you know, I think so many people dismiss it and often, especially, I really think like Apple watches and stuff have got, um, they should have a word with themselves because we get to a point where, you know, we always people are always checking it and like how many calories do I burn? How many steps did I take today? Rather than actually tuning in with how do I actually feel? So with something like Pilates, people always ask me, how many calories does it burn? Like, will it burn fat? And I think it's just like parking that, like that's not what it's for. The stuff that's for that, if you want that, then that's that. But Pilates is just about like getting your body the most functional and strongest and pain-free as possible Mm -hmm. and setting yourself up um, for a long life. I remember the first time my husband came to a class with me and he was like a rugby player at the time, like super, super strong, you know, nailing it in the gym, shredded, all that lot. Um, Now he's got a kid, you know, that just doesn't happen anymore. But he was super, super strong, really cocky turning up. And he was on a reformer next to one of my like regular clients who was in her sixties and she nailed it. And he was like squeaking, grunting, sweating. Um, he was just not having a great time at all. So, you know, it, it, it gives you a strength that you just can't explain. One of my long-term clients was, is a Pilates instructor as well. So I often, I like going to her class and she's kind of like, right okay it's my turn now um and I have to say because it's a different challenge it is different and I I really enjoy it so I can't wait to get back to class um Holly it's just been so wonderful to chat thank you so much for coming on the podcast you're welcome thanks everybody And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. 
Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the train happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. 